0: Good morning. This is Tommy Ray, and we're in episode 66 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. Today is February 14, 2023, Valentine's Day. It happens to be my 45th wedding anniversary. I can't believe my wonderful wife has put up with me this long. Anyway, thank you, Mary. Let's go for 45 more. Today, we are fortunate to have Evan Jeffries join us. Evan is a firefighter in downtown Denver. I'm going to ask him to explain a little bit more about his background and what he has to do with water, and we'll continue this conversation.
1: Yes, my family's been ranching uh, my whole life. I really got involved with it probably about 15 years ago, uh, a little bit more heavily moving, moving back to Colorado. That point, probably about ten years ago, I started running cows from a regenerative process to improve uh, egg rights.
0: Okay, so regenerative is a word I've heard come up over and over. Right. What did you mean by regenerative process?
1: So regenerative process ties kind of everything in a I clo- I wouldn't say a closed loop, um, but you're essentially making more efficient use of the land, uh, all the way from you know your your tree ecosystem, the grasses waters, um, and, you know, manure fertilizer. So you do it in a smaller footprint in kind of, and use multiple animals to do it. Uh, that's always been kind of a goal of mine while I'm not currently doing it with multiple species. Uh, you know, you got to start somewhere and starting with cows to be more efficient on the land, uh, makes sense. Also more efficient water
0: use. Okay. You just run native grasses. You're not a farmer. Are you, or are you? Uh, we, we do cut, we do plant and cut
1: hay. Predominantly, the, the hays that we're cutting are, uh, at least up here at Evergreen, are Timothy smooth brome and uh, you know, with some Alsac clover. We will plant occasionally with that, uh, but they are regenerative crops where they'll, they'll go to seed and uh, reseed themselves.
0: And do you irrigate those then? We do. Okay. So I think you told me earlier that you have two locations, one in Evergreen and one out east. Yes, in Otis, Colorado. Okay, where the hell is Otis?
1: <laughs> it, it's it's about uh, half an hour from Akron, Colorado.
0: Okay, uh, near within an hour from Fort Morgan, essentially. And you have water rights out there that you irrigate the field with too to raise the hay or the no. We everything is off well and
1: pivot out there. Um, okay. uh, my business partner Levi jokes that had his grandpa gone another fifteen miles further when he homesteaded the farm, they would have been sitting on real good water, but. Uh, the, how far they are, are out there. There's no no streams. The aquifers aren't incredible either. So water's a little more scarce out there. It's a lot more dry land farming.
0: Okay. But you said you do run some wells. Yeah. And irrigate yeah. out of
1: those wells. That is correct. Yeah. We'll run some pivots out there. There's just a lot less of them because there's a lot less water out there.
0: Where is that water source? That's not the Ogallala, is it? Or do you know
1: i don't actually know on that one again uh, levi would actually have the answers on that one i'm far more versed up in the mountains all right
0: so let's talk about the mountain property a little bit so you own how many acres up in the evergreen area so i
1: i manage i caretake and manage uh, about about 400 acres used to be about 2500 but essentially with timing I, i just don't have time to take care of everything i've kind of reduced back to just managing between two and three ranches, two two branches predominantly, and then I help out another one just with their water rights, kind of advising
0: them, if you will. When I hear numbers like 400 or 2,500 acres in, ever, in Evergreen, I'm thinking, holy smokes, that's a rich son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not the rich person, but- I, I'm not the rich one. My, my family
1: does have about 1,650-acre ranch. Um, We have uh, a number of different styles or kinds of water rights between irrigation, domestic, and some storage as well. But we actually used to, going back to the 1800s, my family used to own the whole valley on on Upper Bear Creek, which was the Evans Ranch. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, those subsequently over the years since the 1800s, you know, we've had to sell off portions of that ranch uh, kind of time and time again, unfortunately, to where we're we're left from the original ten thousand acres all the way down to sixteen hundred now. Oh, really? Yeah, that's very. But all the, all the water rights that originally tied to that are still in existence,
0: but not necessarily owned to you. They're they're correct. tied to the property, and when you have sold the property, some of the water rights have gone with them. Correct. Uh, there were some pipelines that fed multiple properties, so as the
1: ranches divvied up, um, you yeah. know, a, a lot of them. A lot of people don't use the water ice that they have up there, which is interesting. Uh, The the properties that I manage, we do. But a lot of people, it's kind of, if you have money, do you want to put the time and effort after irrigating? Because by the time you you pencil it out into conversion into hay production, it's really not. It's a lot of time, and time is money. And at the end of the day, it doesn't convert that well.
0: Wow. Do, Do they then lease their water to cities for downstream use? Do you know? No, majority of it is fairly junior water,
1: Okay, uh, which is why. Some of the senior water that does exist there is more in storage capacity, and that is all going to be held on to. Nobody's leasing any of that. Um, there was an interesting one we, we could touch on at some point, but there was actually a Bald Mountain Reservoir on my family's property that there was an opportunity to actually build or put a group together and build, and this was formulated by Genesee Water. Uh, back in the 70s.
0: I'm sorry, to formulate and build what?
1: Uh, About a thousand acre foot reservoir. Okay. Similar to what Evergreen Lake is essentially, but way up at the headwaters of Bear Creek.
0: And that did not go forward?
1: It did not. The water rate got abandoned about five years ago. Oh my God. By my family, actually.
0: (laughs) Shame on them. (laughs) Uh, Shame on them, not on me. I tried. I tried. I tried to
1: express to them that this was bigger than us, you know, that, hey, you should try and, do have due diligence filed so that if nothing else, you maintain the opportunity for this to be built someday. Okay. And, you know, had they done that, I think the writing on the wall is now, it would have been very easy to put together a financial group to, you know, potentially look at building that. Um, Uh,
0: Would have, you know, prior to us sitting down here, you had previously mentioned, particularly with your interest in firefighting, that reservoirs, up in the mountains, got around certain laws because they could be used when helicopters have to come in and pluck water to fight fires, fires. Can you talk about that a little bit? Am I am I saying it right? Or kind of? Let me let me clarify
1: on that one. I'll give I'll give a tiny bit of back history. Okay, uh, District Nine and Eighty for from the 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 water. Districts um, were heavily over appropriated back in the 1800s, early 1900s.
0: Okay, now is is that are those the districts that that are that Evergreen is in? Basically, or? essentially Bear Creek and Turkey Creek. Is okay, what, is what that covers. Okay, um, and so, so so I'm sorry, I'm going, I'm going to keep interrupting because the listeners want to know, and I do too. Absolutely. So uh, nine and eighty are district or. Water districts of the state engineer's office is that correct? That is correct. And they're administered. They have a water commissioner, et cetera, just like districts one and two on the Platte, on down the river, that sort of stuff. Correct. Yes. Okay. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but we'll go back to nine and eighty and firefight.
1: Yeah. So so they're basically tributaries of I think District One as a whole. Uh-huh. Um, so they were heavily appropriated eighteen late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, that, that's been known for the last 20, 30 years. The, the Department of Natural Resources is well aware that there's more water rights than water in the river. So subsequently over the last 10 to 15 years, what they've done is trying to verify which ones are still even in existence or in use. During that process, what, was, what, what we found out as just private local citizens and being a firefighter in Evergreen as a volunteer is that there was a bunch of illegal ponds that were not allowed to have water in them, and this was made known to us, which also then becomes a problem because the fire department might want to utilize them and had utilized some of these ponds to fight wildfires and structure fires. Uh, it was at that point we realized, in theory, the Department of Natural Resources has every right to come in and drain every single one of those ponds. Absolutely, and there's like sixty of them. Okay, so it's it's not sixty building. of them identified. Identified, yes, yes. So um, there's some legal ones as well, right? But yep. a lot of there, there was far fewer legal ones than there were illegal. Okay. So at that point, we we tried to start the conversation around how do we how do we save some of this water strictly for firefighting purposes only.
0: Yep. Um, and
1: uh, yeah, this is about probably eight or nine years ago we started that conversation.
0: Okay. In other words, you don't want the state to come in and drain those illegal ponds. As a firefighter, you'd like to have those fa- ponds stay there full of water, so you could access that water for firefighting when needed. One hundred percent correct. Okay, and, and we were never advocating to save all sixty.
1: The thought yep. process was: we advise all the all the the pond owners go try and buy buy water if you can. Five years ago, you know, you could buy water for eighty thousand dollars an acre foot. Now, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. on Bear Creek, you could. <laughs> Oh my God! Well, there was very little of it left. I little, know that, but I just had ahead. no idea. So, what's the price today on Bear Creek per acre foot? If if you could find it and buy it, you're between three hundred and five hundred thousand dollars per acre foot. But there's none. There's none of it exists anymore. It's all. It's all been appropriated at this point.
0: Okay. I wish, Evan, I wish the listeners could see me because my jaw is a drop. It's wide (laughs) wide open because the highest water that I had seen was most of my experience, of course, is between Denver and Greeley on the Platte and Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District is the big gorilla up there and their water rights in the CBT system were approaching a hundred thousand dollars and I thought that was outrageous so three hundred thousand is scaring me people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and and I want you to know that's that's the direction that water is going very much so. particularly yeah. along the front range where there's a tremendous municipal demand right
1: well I had had people at that point five years ago bought at eighty thousand. I mean, five years, before, I mean, hell of an investment. That would have been. You know? <laughs> but everybody it, wants to keep
0: the water. Nobody wants to sell isn't it. Isn't that amazing how <laughs> sign, hindsight is 20, 20. <laughs>
1: uh, We, I, I tried hard. I tried putting a little investment group together to buy some because we had places to put it. You know, that was half the battle. If you had somewhere to put it, then you could have done it. Fortunately, part of the Evans Ranch did buy some of that. Okay. So There was two people that were able to buy a little bit of it, and that saved a few ponds, which was great. But again, out of the 60... You know, really what we're trying to do is save maybe two or three of those ponds. Oh,
0: really? Okay. Just that few.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, there's some legal ponds already there. We have firefighting cisterns. So, you know, we we weren't trying to move the needle and save everything. Uh, We're being realistic because the ask would be to to then go to Denver Water or, you know, whoever the big water dealers are and say, listen, can you, you know, how do we work a deal where you store some of your water in these ponds? You need it, you come get it. But we also store it here to protect the watershed, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so th- that's where we kind of started moving uh, as a concept. Uh, this concept was actually taken in part by the Plat- uh, Platte Canyon Fire Chief, who actually took it to the Colorado Senate and got a bill passed to uh, basically allow the counties to discern ponds they want to save for firefighting purposes that are illegal ponds. So, this is actually in process currently as we
0: speak. A bill was introduced uh, in the Senate. Did it pass? Is it law now? Do you know? It did pass. Okay. What they're trying to
1: figure out is how to
0: implement it.
1: And that's currently where they're at is what are the parameters that a pond has to meet to be considered a fire protection pond. Okay. Um, There's parameters of how many per county are allowed. I think it's six per county, minimum of or maximum of five-acre surface feet, I believe. There's some parameters around it. Where does that water come from? I'm not really sure, to be honest. I'm not sure whose water that is yep. that we'll be storing. There's there's some questions left to be answered, and the parameters might be too steep to even save any of the ponds, to be honest. But but it's a step in the right direction, because to me, the, the the whole purpose of this was, if we don't put some of these fires out, and first of all, I'm all for letting the burn as long as we're not burning homes down because it's better for the watershed that way over a, you know, 100 year period if we allow fires to burn and then restore the land that way. But if we don't protect the watersheds, then the water turns to crap. So look at the Hayman fire and what happened to, you know, the South Platte through some of that Cheeseman Reservoir. I mean, some of those water resources for Denver water were just trashed for years due to the wildfire that went through there. So, yeah, absolutely. keeping some of the resources to try and help with that, I think, benefits the water owners as well, which is where the conversation is starting to, I think, get some traction.
0: Fascinating. Um, yeah. And I, I'm, again, thrilled to be talking to you because you're more knowledgeable th- than anyone I've talked to. I did talk to a, a woman with Northern Colorado Water Conservancy District, you remember the What was the name of the big fire over there near Grand Lake two years ago? Wasn't it the East Troublesome? East Troublesome, right? Huge, right? And I learned a lot from her about water quality. Um, The water runs off and creates all this sediment in the water, which I thought was no problem, no problem for water quality because that taking sediment out is sort of a physical process. It's not, but she said, "Oh no." She said, what happens is these little microorganisms attach to those water par- particles and grow and create all sorts of hazardous chemicals in the water that's harmful okay. to drink. I didn't know that. So you raise some cattle in evergreen and you raise some out east. We used to raise in evergreen. Um, we hit a point where with how many cows
1: we're running now, Everything is too small to support our operation. I see. And we wanted to have our cows where our processing facility was. So we actually built uh, our own USDA processing facility on our ranch out in Otis. Okay. So it makes more sense for us from a holistic perspective to raise them and walk them right in the facility instead of having to load them up into a trailer and haul them three hours
0: in Okay. Month. So you said USDA processing facility. Okay. I, I think what you're talking about is basically uh, – butchering operation where you, where you slaughter the cattle and skin them and cut them into meat products right there on site. Is that, is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. And it might sound
1: big, but it's only about 4,000 square feet. Okay. It's actually pretty small and it's, it's really predominantly just for us, but we do process for other neighboring ranchers as well. So
0: how many cows do you slaughter at that facility and process? We can do
1: about 25 a week right now. That's huh? maximum capacity. So, about 1200 a year, which is nothing compared to the big facilities. Oh, they, they do that in a week.
0: Oh, I'm you know sure. Know I mean? So, yeah,
1: uh, we're, we're small potatoes, but really we're just trying to solve our own problems.
0: Yeah, you're, you're small potatoes, but yet you can provide a fresh product right. to consumers that, that want that product. In fact, I think you were telling me that you're opening a sort of a, is it going to be a processing facility in Evergreen or will you just bring the, processed meat from Otis to Evergreen and sell it. So so we'll, we'll we'll kill the
1: animals in the USDA facility, skin them, hang them for two weeks, so we age them out there. And then we'll bring the animal in, still in, in sections, if you will, quarters. Okay. Uh, and then we'll bring that into our retail facility and finish breaking it down there for kind of custom, right? Yeah. So you could call me up and say, hey, I want two, two tomahawk ribeyes an inch and a quarter thick done. Not a problem. Wow. Right? Uh, or, hey, you know what? I'm sold out this week, but I can get you next week. So, so. are
0: you operating right now in Evergreen?
1: We are set to open in March of okay. 2023.
0: So. And what's going to be the name of the facility?
1: The name of the facility is The Butcher's Hook.
0: The Butcher's Hook.
1: Yeah. So we'll be doing more than just beef. We'll be doing, uh, Heritage Berkshire Pork. We'll have locally raised lamb as well. And a high quality chicken that won't be raised locally unfortunately there's just no good chicken in colorado <laughs> we do beef really good but colorado does not do chicken well oh, is so, that but correct? from a neighboring state we'll be able to bring chicken in and still process that so uh, our biggest thing is that you know our, our motto is meat honestly we want people to know where the product's coming from it's local and when we talk about supply chain issues that happen through COVID, none of that's ever going to affect us because we raise the animal we butcher it in our own facility And we deliver it right to the customer. There is literally nobody else in Colorado that's doing that.
0: Okay. So tell me the name once again of the facility in Evergreen where you're going to sell to the public. The Butcher's Hook. The Butcher's Hook. And it's going to open
1: about March? March of 2023 will be in place. A soft opening in March 2023.
0: So for all you listeners in the Evergreen area, you know, if you want fresh beef and you want to know where it came from, well, where's, where's the facility going to be in Evergreen?
1: It's going to be right next to it's right off the parkway, in between the in between the post office and the Safeway. Okay, so a
0: great location. Oh, wonderful! A lot of people have easy access there. Very easy access. So. Right. Is it? I'm just curious. Is it an existing building or? The, so
1: what we're actually doing
0: is it's a mobile butchery. So it's always going to be in the same
1: spot, but we have a 36 foot trailer that we converted with cooling on it to be able to to do our processing in there so that we can do a higher volume. We anticipate opening a brick and mortar location in Evergreen within the next 12 to 18 months, but we weren't able to find the right building. Okay. So we decided to do this first.
0: I, I met Evan outside of El Rancho restaurant when it closed. And unfortunately, he had sold them a lot of beef and there was a problem there and Anyway, he uh, didn't get paid for all the beef that he had sold him, but uh, he does. I, I think you still sell directly to restaurants. Is that correct? We do.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The rancho thing was unfortunate, um, but you know it was, it was a great, great location. And we were happy to sell through them. We do currently sell through uh, a, a few other very high-end restaurants down in Denver. Okay. Um, the Four Seasons uh, the Edge Steakhouse is one of our primary customers. We sell them about four or five different products, actually. Um, and they're amazing to work with. Uh, also, A5, which is the number one steakhouse voted in Denver. So we have some, some pretty decent clients where we're moving our product currently.
0: Oh, that's great. I'll have to uh, ask you to come back sometime. Anyway, Evan, thank you for being here. And uh, I always end my podcast, I, I love the sound of a gentle mountain stream. So I go and sit by my gentle mountain stream to relax and come join me and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me on. Bye.